what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv, our little podcast network here. I am Alan Jackson. Sitting across from me, Chris Fry. Chris, how you doing? I am doing well. I'm excited to talk about the movies we've got today. One of them was uh, in my like top 10 most anticipated films of uh, 2022. So yeah. uh, it's a good day. So we'll have to see, <laughs> does it live up to the hype? Oh, that was, as I mentioned, that's Chris Fry. I'm Alan Jackson. We're with the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. And we get together every couple weeks here to talk movies. We do a little movie reviews, we do a little movie news, and we do some recommendations of other movies we think you ought to check out. On today's show, we do have two films, two new films we will be reviewing for you, as Chris just alluded to. I assume Nope is the one you're talking about. <laughs> yes. The Gray Man was not in your top 10 of most anticipated films. I did films. not know it existed until it showed up Exactly. Netflix. Gotcha. So Nope will be the film we'll be discussing first. That is the latest film from writer-director Jordan Peele. That was the one that Chris teased was in his 10 most anticipated films of 2022. We will see if it lives up to that hype. And then we'll go into a review of the latest Netflix original film, The Gray Man, starring Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. Uh, After that, we'll go into some movie news. We've got a little bit of news from the Venice Film Festival about a new film that's going to be premiering there. We'll talk a little bit about the... Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, announcements recently at San Diego Comic-Con and what their movie landscape looks like for the next couple years. Then we're going to end the show with Chris and I both giving a recommendation of something we think is worth checking out. Normally it's a film, but as I have been doing the last few episodes, because honestly I've been tapped out, <laughs> I my my uh, letterboxed review list, Chris, has been poured through, and I really have nothing else to review at this or recommend at this point. Fair enough. So I'm dipping into the world of a few. I, I they're TV shows, but TV is such a such a base word these days to use for content. These are really well done productions that I'm going to share as a recommendation. One in particular that I even think Chris, you will really find interesting. And I'd like to hear your opinion on it. If you get a chance to see it. Okay. But before we get into any of that stuff, let's go backwards and talk about these movie reviews. We've got Chris, let's go ahead and jump right into our review of our first film. As I mentioned, it is Jordan Peele's Horror, sci-fi, whatever genre you want to drop it into. It is his latest film, Nope. What's a bad miracle? They got work for that.
Nope director Jordan Peele has had a great amount of success with his first two films, Get Out, for which he won an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay, and then he followed it up with Us. His film's uniqueness reminds me of another filmmaker, M. Night Shyamalan, who had a good degree of success with his early films, Sixth Sense, Unbreakable. Then with his third film, Signs, it was still a success, but for some was a disappointment. And then we know that his films have kind of trended off since then. With Nope, Jordan Peele, the summary is the residents of a lonely gulch in inland California bear witness to an uncanny and chilling discovery. Alan, how did Nope match the quality of Peele's earlier work for you? And did it have a signs or worse, a lady in the water experience for you with the film? You are going deep on the Shyamalan comparisons (laughs) there. Um, I do think it was interesting that this is Jordan Peele's third film. His films have been known to touch on horror and some thriller elements, but also having a little bit of deeper messages to them. Shyamalan, I think, started out much the same way. I mean, you kind of look at the parallels. It's kind of interesting. First film out, uh, Get Out and The Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. Both critically claimed. Right. Both big hits. Mm-hmm. Uh, both kind of cemented this as this new hot director for for this genre. Then they came out with their second film. It was Us for Jordan Peele, and it was um, Unbreakable. Right. Both films not faring as not being as big as their original film. Still well regarded, well revered films, but didn't quite have the seismic uh, appeal that the first one did. Sure. Then their third one happens to do with aliens. Both of them. Both have had to do with aliens. Like with invasions, with, mm-hmm. you know, this idea of a family. And there's even kind of a similar setting between the three. It was very odd sitting watching this film and seeing those parallels happen. So it was interesting you set that up. Um, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, all right, I, ultimately I'm coming down. I like this film. <laughs> okay. I did like it. I had a really good time with this film. I think I liked his other two films better. Okay. I'll go ahead and say that. Although I think visually and from a cinematic standpoint, this is a better film than the other two. Okay. But it does falter in some other areas that make it where I can't, I can't hold it as high as I do his other films. I, to me, us is my favorite of his three. I just loved us. I thought it was great. I love get out. And I really like what he was going for with that. Uh, us. I just worked for me because I, I don't know. I just enjoyed the premise. I enjoyed everything about it. Um, Nope is, is interesting. I will go ahead and say this. It, it, it was not what I expected, mm-hmm. which was good. Um, I think, I think Jordan Peele's um, skills as a director have grown because I think there was more, and, and I hate using these words where I compare them to other directors, but I mean, sometimes that's the best way well, to explain it. I, sure. I, I saw flourishes of Kubrick. And flourishes of Spielberg all kind of mixed into this. And I think he's taking his visual storytelling. And I think that's been elevated. Um, I do think there's some issues with the actual storytelling that's going on here. And, and I'll get into that in a little bit. I think it's so maybe like plot and stuff. a little bit of plot. Okay. I, I, and I think it's something a little bit deeper with, with Peel's movies. I'll go into a little bit later. Basically, I feel like, I know we're not really getting deep into the plot of this film or not that, but uh, I feel like there's a lot of great ideas in Jordan Peele's head. Mm-hmm. And I think they creep into the screen, but not in a way that really connects with the audience as well to understand what's happening and why. 
And not that I need everything spelled out at all. I like things to be very mm-hmm. open interpretation. But I think there's a lot of ideas up in his head that aren't always translated to the screen very well that make it a little harder for an audience to really connect as much as we could. So that being said, I, I think the story was really interesting. I don't know. Did you go into the story much in your setup? Uh, I just briefly said. Just the log line. Yeah, just the yeah. log line. That was so, awesome. I mean, we've got some interesting performances here. I think uh, do want to hit on those. But before we go into the details, I, I kind of gave my very vague, broad answer. But Chris, <laughs> what, what was your thoughts on Nope? So, you know, I mentioned kind of in our, the right when we were starting the show, that it was one of my top 10 anticipated films um, for 2022. And with that comes the burden of expectation. We've talked about that many times on the show, how a lot of times the more hyped you are for a movie, the more likely you are to be let down. Um, This movie, like you mentioned, was not what I thought it was going to be. And I think that is going to be the biggest challenge for this movie. I liked this movie, Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's going to be the biggest challenge in reaching audiences is, you know, his first two films were more of like kind of a horror type. Mm -hmm. So this one the early previews kind of indicated that was what it was going to be. But then the later ones, you know, show a little bit more of like a UFO and you're like, well, you kind of always knew it was going to be that kind of film, but they didn't actually show it. And now they're showing it a lot. So that may help to steer people away from, okay, outright horror more into the category of sci-fi. Maybe that'll help this film. Um, This is a rarity where before we, sat down to review this, I've actually had the chance to see this movie twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that helps a lot with mm-hmm. uh, my overall opinion. I liked the movie the first time, but like you, I walked away thinking, interesting, well shot, well acted, but some of the mechanics of the film mm-hmm. or the plot, I felt kind of, they, they, they bothered me. Yeah, And I think because... And watching it a second time, everything fell into place and everything worked ridiculously well. Oh, good. And I think what it comes down to is, for me, the film had a more slow burn quality with suspense Mm -hmm. and story that I was not expecting. That's not the pacing I got from his first two films. It felt more like a movie that had the patience of a 1970s thriller, not one made in 2022. True, that's a good point. And it's interesting that you reference people like Steven Spielberg and the movie Close Encounters of the Third mm-hmm. Kind. Because that movie, if you're looking for a fast-paced movie with action or like, you ain't gonna That's get not it. it. As everybody mm-hmm. knows who's seen that movie. It's a good movie, but it's more of like just slow and deliberately paced. Yeah. This movie is two hour and 10 minutes. You do see little glimpses of a UFO up in the sky, but it's very like quick glimpses. A lot of it's, there's, you know, a lot of it's just slow shots of, you know, the Californian countryside and and it's just, and there's dialogue and stuff, but there's not a lot of what you would typically characterize as action that does happen. But to me, it's just, it's kind of a shock to see that shift in movie making for him. Mm -hmm. And even in the opening scene of Nope, there's a scene of uh, a chimp and a TV set Mm -hmm. And when I watched this film the second time, I watched it with my son and my dad, because my dad, who has never seen a Jordan Peele film, read a (laughs) review in the New York Times and wanted to go see this. And I was like, okay, you know what kind of movie you're watching. But that opening scene happened, and he turned next to me. He's like, oh, what what was that? I'm like, just just hold on. Just hang tight. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's, you know, 
that's the kind of thing. Not that Jordan Peele, I mean, he's hinted at things before with some things that happened in us and so like, but this really had a lot of things that when you're seeing them for the first time, you have no clue what they are. And then by the end of the film, everything kind of makes sense. And if you watch it a second time, the things that you're seeing and some of the setups make a heck of a lot more sense. Okay. So it's one of those things that it's kind of a risky film for Jordan Peele. Yeah. I think, I think it's a very risky he's, film. He's just saying, which is cool. He's getting to make the film. I think that he wanted to make, um, but it, it kind of does ask a lot of the audience, yeah. I think. And you have to really be like on the page and willing to kind of get in the mindset of the film. And if you're not, you're going to be like, yeah, that maybe didn't make any sense. It was a real letdown. And I, I get why people would say that. Yeah. No, I, I, and I still have questions only having seen the movie one time. Right. Well, we, that I'll probably I, am going to need to get with you after I, the recording because or we could I, do a spoilers. We could. Way. There's yeah. one, one element. Okay. One piece, one thing that I, I'm still, trying to wrap my head around when well, there's um, some things that there's some things that I would like to compliment the film on, but I can't without yeah, spoilers. So I'd, I'd like to maybe, okay, we can that, do a little so. spoiler edition. Okay. That's fine. Um, sure. Let, let's talk, let's talk more specifics about the film. Sure. Kind of, you know, Absolutely. just for anybody who's Those maybe broad, not as familiar yeah. with it. You know, as you mentioned, it is, as you kind of picked up from our discussion, it is about aliens. I mean, I think yep. that's pretty clear from trailers and everything else going out there. Uh, you know, we do talk, follow two main characters, Daniel Kaluuya plays OJ, which is, yes, that is commented in the film. And yes. it's, it's kind of a joke name in the, in the film as well. And his sister Emerald played by Kiki Palmer. Um, they own a ranch, or at least uh, OJ works there primarily. It was a ranch that uh, he worked with his father. It was a ranch where they uh, trained horses that were to be used in films. So right. when you have a horse in a commercial or in a movie has to act a certain way, they do the training of those horses. But, the father meets his uh, uh, his demise very early on in the first scene of the movie, basically. Related to the, the plot of the film that you're going to be going into. And uh, that causes the ranch to go a little bit of a, a hard times. You know, they're, they're struggling a little bit. Emerald comes. The two of them are trying to work together. But then this whole phenomenon starts to happen where all of a sudden things are going missing things are happening in the sky and you get some some overall interesting uh, happenings mm -hmm. you also have uh steven young playing ricky jupe park um who you find is a former child star um related to the chimp that you mentioned yes. which again we'll just kind of leave it at that but he is related gordy. to gordy the chimp <laughs> that you do meet early in the film but mm -hmm. he now runs a kind of a uh, tourist trap, a uh, little ranch out in the middle of this gulch area where uh, Emerald and OJ live mm -hmm. and uh, attracting people to come in and, and see shows. Um, and he has a little bit of a connection to what's going on up in the sky as well. So that's the overall mechanics of the, uh, the plot, I guess. And um, so Chris, what did you think performance wise? What did, uh, some other like more specific factors of the film, uh, you know, performances, I even got like to get your thoughts on the special effects used because there are some special effects in the film and you know yeah. how well those kind of came across and worked in the film, but acting wise, what'd you think? So Daniel Kaluuya, I, I like him. Um, I've, you know, his work in other films I've really appreciated this. It was really interesting to me how like uh, Judas and the black Messiah, mm -hmm. he's playing this really big persona on film. And with this film, you know, he's just very dialed down. Oh yeah. You know, a lot of the stuff is in his face 
and in his eyes and how he like looks and, but you know, he, he doesn't say a whole lot. I'd be curious, mm-hmm. like how much his dialogue boiled down as a pair to you know, his sister Emerald, you know, she's like a motor mouth talking a mile a minute, you know, and he just, a lot of times his words are kind of mumbled mm-hmm. and, you know, but it's, it's still a very interesting muted performance. And when he, and it, and it's, I don't know, actually, I think it means more because of that, because you can yeah. almost relate to him more. Right. And he's also just lost his father. So there's that, you know, he had a pretty close bond with his father. So I appreciate him. I thought Kiki Palmer, who I'm not that familiar with. Mm-hmm. I thought, of course, her performance is kind of a standout because mm-hmm. she is this loud mouthed, <laughs> very opinionated She's a firecracker. Sister. Yes, she is, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, Stephen Yun, um, from the benefit of having seen it a second time, there's a lot of nuance to his character and him being kind of the third wheel, you know, not really, mm-hmm. not really, if you don't, if you see the movie, you don't, may not pay attention to him, but if you're able to pay attention to him, his arc is very interesting mm-hmm. because like you mentioned, he was a child actor. There was a tragedy that happened and he goes on to, you know, open up this ranch that you're saying that's kind of a tourist trap but then some things that he does, he hasn't learned lessons of yeah. some lessons and those kind of come back and, and bite him yeah. <laughs> is, is a simplistic way of saying things. So, um, and also, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's really interesting. His character, the more you can kind of dig into it, the more his story, like a, another filmmaker might've chosen to kind of focus on his story and take it away from the ranch. Yeah. But, um, but the fact of the ranch, like you mentioned, Jordan Peele also has kind of a social commentary aspect. Mm-hmm. And this deals with the Haywood family, uh, according to the, the film anyway. They are actually related to the first uh, image on screen that was cinema that was a black jockey riding a horse that you that's mentioned in the trailer. And so they are now this family that has all this long history in Hollywood, but how they're still kind of sidelined. Nobody really knows who they are and they're mm-hmm. just kind of so struggling to make a mark in the film industry. So that's kind of the whole representation in film, you know, so that's kind of interesting. And you would think considering that like thread of Jordan Peele's work about representation and social justice and things that maybe Stephen Young's character would be equally as sympathetic, mm-hmm. but not really, which I found uh, yeah. really kind of surprising how, you know, because you would just, uh, you know, it would have been very easy, in other words, to have his character just be a white child actor. Yeah. But I thought thought it was, you know, interesting that he went ahead and said, no, you know, people make mistakes regardless of. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting kind of yeah. thread there. I uh, I really like Steve. I, I like the Ricky Park or Stephen Young's character. Uh, his, that subplot. There's a scene, I can do this without spoiling much, I believe. Sure. There's a scene where he is having conversations with Emerald and OJ at his offices and he leads them into a kind of a museum like room that he has set up and where he's talking about this tragedy you alluded to, I thought was just a really interesting Hmm. scene. Uh, The dialogue involved just, uh, just was really telling of what you're alluding to is that this is a character that hasn't, hasn't learned <laughs> from the lesson or well, from the situation he went through. And I thought it was a really, really fascinating talk. So you know? here's another layer that was fascinating. And this doesn't spoil anything. Um, obviously I'm a, and the more, I, the more I think about this film, the more and more I appreciate it. 
Um, that scene you're talking about, which is early in the film, he basically talks about what happened to him as a child actor with that whole gold Gordy's was it Gordy's home. Yeah. yeah. With that whole incident. But instead of telling him exactly what happened, mm-hmm. he relays it through a skit yeah. on Saturday night live, which is insane. And not yeah. only that, but Jordan Peele, his prior career, you know, he did a comedy series yeah. that was skit based with, um, Michael Keegan key. Uh, or Keegan Michael Key. Keegan Michael Key. Keegan Michael Key. Believe, okay, yeah. so, and he was on Saturday Night Live. Now he does not call him out as one of the people that's in this skit, but it's kind of interesting. I don't think he he was never a cast member on Saturday Night Live. He's been he's been a host. He's though. been a host. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's but, what it is. Mm, sure. But anyway, like they've done skit comedy, mm-hmm. and the fact that he's using Saturday Night Live is interesting. And he calls he sets up the skit with actual actors that were on the show. Oh yeah, like he oh, calls yeah. out Chris Kattan. I mean, he out. even uh, Chris Kattan even had a skit that he where he played a monkey like character on a recurring sketch idea, and it's like that was exactly what he was pulling from, and he wove it together. Was okay. So yeah. so there's there's some meta elements, but what I thought was interesting was the commentary of mm-hmm. using Saturday Night Live, which you know they do skits, yeah, yeah. but making light oh, of a tragedy absolutely it's, and how that and so that that was just really interesting so taking a real show but then filtering it back and i, I don't know there's there's common there's say we've already said you know social commentary on like racial justice and things but also social comedy on or commentary on the media so there's this saturday night live mm-hmm. later in the film well, there's commentary on like the news media oh, yeah. as well. And TMZ then plays a TMZ role in this. TMZ plays uh, a role. So there's there's a lot going on, but I think it's a lot going on theme-wise instead of action-wise. And I think that's going to frustrate audiences. Well, okay. And I'll, let me let me go on that note a bit. I agree with everything you're saying. And I would much rather a film dig into those themes – than having to rely on just action to do it or to entertain you. Okay. I, I'm all for this. I do feel like with this film, I, there's a, there's a part of me that does feel like there's maybe too many themes that are trying to be touched on uh, that. I don't feel like at the end of the day, make the whole work as well as it could. That's my only hesitation with the film. I still really, really like this film and had a good time with it, but you even rattled off, I think, like five themes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think there's probably even a couple more if I wanted to kind of go in there. I think there's a whole theme on the nature of animals and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, nurture versus nature type of thing that's going on. You've got um, the history of film. You've got the history of uh, filmmakers. You've got, um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> and I, I do feel like that maybe there was a maybe couple too many themes that just – uh, it, it, it it's going to take audiences a lot more to process because there's a lot more going on and there's a lot more to be said. And the way that, for example, the whole Gordy scenes that we've talked about kind of connect with the rest of the film, there is a thread. Yes, that absolutely connects it, but there's other threads that are connecting to other things. And you kind of, you kind of have this patchwork of how all these different themes are fitting together. I, I just wonder if this film might have been trying to bite off more than it needed to, to still be an effective film where I feel like with us and with get out, I felt like there was one to two themes that were pretty prominent and they knew this is what we're going to talk about. This one, I felt like they kind of piled on a few more and 
again, I admire the film for, for trying to take it all on. I just thought there was a lot. And I just wonder if that's, <laughs> I know it's going to have a, a issue with, with a lot of audiences. It had a little bit of an issue with me, but enough for me to want to throw up the flag on it and just say, all right, you know, it's kind of like they've always said that when you have like the, the superhero movies, it's like you have your first movie and you have one villain, then you do a sequel. Now let's throw in two villains. Oh, mm-hmm. that'll make it bigger. Oh, now we're going to have another movie. Let's see if we can do five villains in it and just make it big. I kind of felt like that was the mentality with this, with themes and with topics. It was like, good at get out had pretty much a, a social issue theme that I think was fairly, fairly, you know, you knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Us, he added a, a, maybe one or two more in there, but it was still relatively, you could wrap your head around it. This one, let's just say this, on the whole 20-minute car ride home after seeing this film, we had to listen to a lot of discussion about this film <laughs> just to make sure we were understanding how all the themes were meant to work together and what they all connected to in a film. And I so. think I think Pace, or with my movie watching, you know, I find that so refreshing mm-hmm. and I much prefer that no, over, no, no. over I, like Thor and Dr. Str- well, I mean, don't I can, get me wrong. I can knock on all the Marvel. I am not sitting here saying that I would rather have just mindless, just give me something simple and just like very straightforward. No, I like giving my brain a workout. I like thinking <laughs> through these things. I just wonder if this film might not have been trying to do too much under one umbrella of a film. That's mm-hmm. my only question on it. Because again, I could rattle off five themes. I think, I think at least I picked up on, that were being touched on. And they're very, some of them were very disparate films, uh, themes too. So it's like, you know, like I talk about the idea of uh, like, you know, if you, if you take the theme of animals and mm-hmm. their nature, whether it, it, can you understand animals and what their true nature is like, you know, and then how does that connect with, this other theme of like the film history of the family. It's just, again, there's a lot of themes and I don't know if I always saw the connective tissue that made it all work as one singular movie, but I'd still much rather have this than 90% of the stuff we see. So. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess. And there again, maybe it's the benefit of having seen it twice. Um, because I, I feel like I do see a lot more of the connective tissue with all the themes kind of forming a, a central theory. Okay. Um, yeah. It was not as clear to me. So okay. well, maybe it was on a second viewing. So that could I'll help. See, um, we haven't touched, we touched on three of the performances, somebody else that I really, he's kind of like that guy who pops up in films and he's always a bad guy. He's oh, just yeah. a guy <laughs> in this film, <laughs> but uh, Michael Wincott plays <laughs> Antler's host and he is a cinematographer that they, um, the two ch- or the two um, brother and sister Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer, the Haywoods, they bring out to the ranch to try to capture um, the alien. And um, he he's a cinematographer, so they employ him. And his voice, if you hear his voice, you'll be like, oh yeah, I've seen him as a bad guy in tons of films. Um, but his character was really interesting. It kind of adds a little bit to the Hollywood thread because he's a cinematographer. He talks about how they can't pay him anything. He's like, well, I do one for them and one for me. Mm-hmm. What are you trying to do? They say, oh, we're going to do – it's reality. He's like, oh, I'm not interested in that. You know, like uh, – because he's thinking like reality television where he's like, oh, nope. They're like, oh, a documentary. He's like, oh, okay. Now mm-hmm. now what are we – so it's yeah. – there's a very interesting like oh, – And sure. the way his, his – there again, his character arc is interesting. 
and some choices that he makes towards the end of the film. First time I watched it, I read it one way. Second time I watched it, I read it another way. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's interesting that there's that much flexibility within the film. And that's just strengthened by the discussions like you were having, or like you say, you listen to commentaries and whatever people, I, yeah, I really appreciate the film for kind of walking a delicate, for me, having walked a delicate balance between laying out things, but not answering things. And for me, it was just the right balance um, that rewarded, you know, thinking about it and dwelling on it. And, you know, mm-hmm. if you have a chance seeing it a second time. So yeah, I will say, um, I think I can do this without spoiling anything. Um, one of the interesting things too, for me that, it, there again, it's all about expectations. Um, I'll say the character design mm-hmm. of the entity that Haywoods, the Haywoods are trying to discover. I was not expecting that. And um, it was a kind of a surprise that I've never really had. And I've, I've seen, you know, one of my favorite genres is science fiction movies mm-hmm. and kind of the twist they do on the character design i was not expecting that right and that was that really threw me for a loop for a little bit and actually the ending of the movie threw me for a little bit because i'm like wait i don't understand but then the more there again the more i thought about it and saw how weaving in aspects of how animals behave how creatures behave how predators behave how there's like behaviors things really started to kind of click in and there again Mm -hmm. i can't do a whole lot without spoilers, but um, yeah. I don't know. It's, it, I really appreciated a lot of the thought that went into it, and it worked for me. So, yeah, I I, I liked the concept of the quote flying saucer because I mean you see that in a trailer, and you know there's something up in the sky. And yeah, I mean, it's a traditional you know. UFO yep. thing. I liked what that ultimately ended up being. Um, wasn't as crazy about some of the evolution of it towards later in the film. And, but again, that may be something I have to kind of go back and absorb a second time. I, I, that's, that's another one of my questions where I felt like there were some themes there that I wasn't quite absorbing as an audience member, uh, late in the film. So, um, yeah, no, overall, I thought I, thought I was going to say visual effects. I mean, I, this isn't a film I want to spend a lot of time talking about visual effects with, but I thought we're all really good. I yeah, mean, there, there are moments I'll say some of my favorite moments were just looking up in the sky, trying to find the, 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 the thing trying sure. to find what they're trying to look for because it was done so, so well. And again, not trying to ape just on Spielberg, but that was what some of the elements of close encounters that always worked for me is it was subtle at times. Sometimes it's just a shadow moving across the ground. Sometimes it's just something in the background moving slightly. And that's what was happening here. When you're watching for this, you're, you're an audience member in their eyes, seeing the same thing the characters are seeing. And it was scary yet exhilarating at the same time to do that. So I, I love well, that he put us in that. that and I think Peel's gone on record as being a pretty big Spielberg fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's a, what I feel like is an outright call out or call back to close encounters. Cause there's a scene with uh, OJ in a truck and aliens passing overhead, oh, yeah. and it's kind of very Richard mm-hmm. Dreyfus, you know, at the yeah, railroad yeah. cross. So there's there's a lot of parallel, but it's it's well done. It's it's uh, it's cool. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Well, that is nope. Um, both positive for us. Yeah, I've got some questions, but maybe do we want to go into a spoiler right I'm, now, Chris? I'm, I'm game. Yeah. Okay. So here's what we're gonna do, guys. If you have not seen this movie 
or I mean, let's say if you haven't and you just don't care about being spoiled, you can keep on listening. <laughs> and maybe the spoilers will make you more intrigued. To could, see be, it, could be, could um, be. Uh, but I'd recommend maybe using the little skip button on your podcast player to like skip ahead a couple minutes. Um, when we when you hear us start talking about the Gray Man, you're going to hear a little bit of a trailer of that film. That that's your sign that you've gone far enough, and you can jump back in. But we are going to spoil some elements of Nope here just for a couple minutes. Um, all right, so spoiler editions on right now. All right, Chris, um, go ahead. Did so you have something? On I your think own? one of the biggest things that bothered me the first time was I, I thought it was cool at first when they said the flying saucer was not a ship, yeah, but was the a, actual alien. The actual alien. I yeah. was like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. But what I didn't understand was why there was a switch literally in the you know closing moments of the film it becomes like this gigantic jellyfish thing. And that bothered me the first time I saw it. However, Mm -hmm. on the second time through, Mm -hmm. having listened to a lot of things that were being said about predators and animals and behavior, when the creature at the very end turns into the big jellyfish thing, it is specifically because it feels threatened. Okay. And the way it shoots out like a colored square yeah. and different intervals and makes these noises is because it is trying to hypnotize or distract its prey. And at that moment it is Daniel Kaluuya. And that's because it sees him as a threat because it has seen flags and all these other things that kind of mm-hmm. freak it out. And so, and he, at that point for the first time really makes eye contact with it, which is a way of animals yeah. and predators. So there's, so that to me made sense. Okay. Um, and so that was really cool that they were like carrying this thing through. Whereas all the other times when I, you'd just seen it as a ship and they, that was, you know, also story by design. So that way you thought it really was a ship and not a creature, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because it was never feeling threatened. It was right. just swooping down and grazing okay. on the, all the, different I can buy things. that. Yeah. That works for so me. Now yeah. the one thing you could say, which there again, I have justification in my head. Who knows how Jordan Peele justifies it. And I'd be interested whether or not you think, because I didn't even think about it the first time. Second time, my son and my dad were like, well, okay. Um, The creature has that confrontation I'm speaking about with Daniel Kaluuya, OJ. And he makes eye contact, which every other time he has said, if you look at this thing, that's when it kills you. Because it sees you as like weak or you're, and it comes and kills you. He hasn't looked at it. It passes him over at one other point in the film. He looks at this time, the creature you think is going to kill him. But I think he stares it down and slowly backs away instead of turning around and running away Mm -hmm. and doesn't scream, doesn't act scared. And so therefore I think the creature for whatever reason, maybe because he thinks something's up with him and he can't kill him. He then goes after the sister instead. Mm -hmm. You don't know that because you assume he's dead, which at the end of the film yeah. Is he dead or is he That's not? Dead? I ambiguous. didn't. I didn't even think that. But then my dad was asking me. He's like, well, "Do you think she actually sees her brother and he's really alive, or do you think he's dead?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't know. That's interesting. That could be. I mm. could read it. I could read it either way. Either he died trying to save his sister, which would make more sense. But I don't know. Yeah, but then the film hasn't really done anything with this idea of, uh, you know. Uh, dream or, or or visions or 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 all that so to really that if that was the case I I took it as he's he's alive and he's there and I, you know he, I would think so because it's just otherwise nothing in the film has led us to believe that they're 
we live in a world where she is like having a vision of seeing someone who wasn't there. There have been no other visions up to that. Yeah. They're just, it it just seems like it'd be one of those throwaway things that, that just to throw people off their game, which I I don't, that would be a little cheap. I think if that was the case, (laughs) so I I feel like that was probably authentic. And I think your description of what happens fine. Um, and it kind of explains it because the first time through when he comes back at the end, I'm like, wait, how did he, but then the more I think about it. So, and that actually justifies, I like the way that Michael Wincott and there it's Holly kind of, and I don't, you could read it one way as it's Hollywood greed. He does get the shot for them. It's actually, you know, he gets a lot of good stuff for them, but then he sees it's magic hour Mm -hmm. and he's like, Oh, it's magic hour. So then it's like, I'm going to go get a shot for me yeah. and I'm going to be famous and well, I don't care now about what you wanted. I'm going to do that. And it's going to be all me. Well, or, the theme of, yeah, go ahead. Or you could read mm-hmm. it as when he's talking earlier and he's talking on the phone, trying to get recruited to come do it. She's like, Oh, this is what he's like. Well, you realize the unattainable shot. What, what's going to become of you when you get on that mountaintop? And you basically saying like, if you succeed in everything in life, there's no reason left to live. The unattainable mm-hmm. shot is an unobtainable and so like he sees it and then he's kind of like, you know what? I'm kind of, I'm kind of done. And he basically yeah. knows he's going to die and does it anyway, but mm-hmm. he does scream. He does scream and which, um, OJ does not. So I think that's why he dies and OJ yeah. doesn't just a theory. Well, okay. Yes. And again, <laughs> and there again, I have more the benefit themes, of having seen it twice. More themes are, 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 are batted around. I mean, I definitely got all the theme of the, the love of the spectacle Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole people who come out to the ranch to see yep. Jupe show, it's all about this spectacle and Jupe's there to show off the spectacle. I get the whole fascination with what we see without always thinking about what it's doing. And mm-hmm. that kind of, that's a theme. And I, that's I, something he should have learned because Gordy went crazy because yeah. he was an animal that they were trying to train to repetitively do this stuff. Which... And it had bad consequences. Another theme there about and the whole animal, animal side of things. He does the same thing to the alien. Then you got the whole unobtainable shot and you've got the whole, you know, glory of trying to get that one thing that you obtain, try to obtain. Um, you got the whole nature versus nurture of animals, you know, all this I'm, I'm, I'm following and and getting together. It's at what cost do you do things that you shouldn't be doing? You're pushing animals past where you're pushing things that shouldn't be, shouldn't be messed with. Mm -hmm. And so it's like alien. If you know, the alien coming down and killing or eating things. Okay. But you trying to tame it, he was trying to tame a predator and he should have known better than that because of nature yeah, can but, always but, be tamed. But OJ and Emerald weren't doing anything to this creature and it was still no, not, terrorizing no, their about, family. I'm talking about Steven. No, no, I know. But, but how does that carry over then? If, if the idea is that you're, you should not be trying to push and things further than they are. The creature wasn't terrorizing his family. It was terrorizing. It wasn't, it was got to that point, but it was taking advantage of Steven trying to tame it. And he wasn't really being tamed. He was just going down there and eating the horses that he was feeding him. And at the very beginning, when Steven goes out to try to find ghost and he ends up killing, apparently a horse at Steven's ranch or, um, Jupe's ranch, but also taking ghost. He walks out there and you don't know it because you haven't seen this in the movie yet, but when you've seen it twice, Jupe is down there practicing saying the same dialogue and everything with the lights going out. Mm. And it, so basically if you, the time frame is his dad dies and six months later, because they say that when they're filming the commercial, Oh yeah, he's kind of taken over the family business. So I think he has been selling horses 
to Jupe for Jupe to, because he says like six months ago, I came out here, this mm. was happening. And so he's been trying to train this creature and he thinks he's got it figured out that, yeah, every day at 6.15, I can send out a horse and it'll eat it and I can make money off of it. And what happens is I think the creature through interactions with at this point, yeah, um, OJ's ranch, because he's like, I think he figures out, I think the creature kind of figures out, okay, they're, they're on to me. And th- there's a huge crowd of people. It's not just one guy with a horse. It's like a huge crowd. And he's like, dude, I have a buffet now. <laughs> so he like, well, I so also got like, the fact that the horse didn't leave the little pen. In that last one, it was in the glass correct, case and correct. it didn't because Jupe is trying to get him out and is getting very annoyed that the horse is not running right, out. He's so like, that's why I think I'm safe. The creature's here. like, okay, well I can't have a horse. So right, I'll, I'll just suck everybody. up everybody. So else. I think there's, yeah. there's, I don't know. I, I feel like to me there again, I feel like it, it kind of starts falling into place for me okay. about what it's all saying. And the whole idea of um, using the Hollywood system, using the Haywoods and not really giving them any credit. And there's frustration built up there about how they feel like. And so, and the Hollywood system uses, you know, even uses um, Jupe as well, like uses him as a little boy cause he's cute or whatever. And then discards him when he's old and not cute again. And he has to set up this ranch to make money. So I think there's, there's a lot, like you say, there's a lot of stuff, but it's all about, I don't know, sum it tre- up for treating me. other sum, people. Sum it up for me in one thing. Um, treat others. Nice. <laughs> And okay. don't, and realize what you're doing and don't, don't exploit things there. Don't exploit, don't exploit stuff. Do, you know, do things that are equally beneficial for all parties involved and don't exploit stuff. Cause they're exploiting, exploiting Gordy. Then, uh, Jupe doesn't learn and exploits the memories and the bad. He exploits himself. He's willing to sell himself and all the bad memories that he creates that little museum of the Gordy. Yeah. yeah. Gordy's okay. like, and all So it's like, all right, no, it's exploitation. I got it. I got it. We're good. So, yeah. All right. I got one last question. Sure, spoiler sure, sure. time here. <laughs> um, the shoe, the okay. upright, uh, perfectly upright shoe I that you that, see in Gordy's, uh, in the, uh, flashback to the Gordy massacre. Situation. And it's still in that. Well, granted, at this point, it's probably it's stood case, that way yeah. in a case that way, but yeah, I have a theory on it, but I'd like to hear yours. I think it's an homage to poltergeist and Steven Spielberg. And like, I think that's, I think that's what that is. But why? Cause it's cool. Mm. Because it's cool. I, otherwise I don't think there's, I, I mean, yeah, the, maybe there is more there again. I've seen the film twice. The first time through, I, I noticed it, but didn't understand it. And then the, the second time through the movie, I saw um, a lot more call-outs to different movies. Like she's on a motorbike riding to an electric kind of futuristic motorbike riding at the end of the movie to let the balloon go to destroy yeah. the creature. When she's doing that and she comes in, she does this skid. It oh, is yeah. a direct homage to Akira, which is a mm-hmm. uh, anime. Film. Well, I, I so there get are all these different homages. So I think it's just an homage. I know, but it's it's in there three times. So I, to me, it's it's beyond just an homage. If you're going to use that visual of this perfectly, it's in there three. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. he 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 has a flashback to it twice oh, where yeah, he yeah, sees yeah. it, and right. then you see it the third time sure. in his museum setting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Here's my take on it, and I haven't found anybody else that that has this theory, but this is mine. Because Jupe is exploiting that mm-hmm. situation. Yes. Because he has set up his little museum and he's got the shoe that he got from the set and he's got it like positioned in a, in a glass tomb where it's perfectly <laughs> perpendicular. It's standing That's up. what he sees every day now. Right. So when he thinks back to that situation, the actual massacre with Gordy, mm-hmm. 
he sees that shoe. That shoe wasn't really there standing up on its toe back when it actually happened, back during the massacre. But that's what he sees. Hmm. Because now when he thinks back to that situation, he's fixated on that shoe. That shoe is like a symbol of, now I've turned this into a commodity. I've turned this into something I'm going to show other people. Hmm. And even though at the moment, it wasn't actually standing up on its toe like that. It was just, we're seeing everything through his eyes because okay, we're under the table with him. Okay. That's and what again, he sees. That is one more thing that could be oh, yeah. irritating to people that it's exploited, but also irritating to people because it's another thread. But to me, that just makes this movie that much better. And I'll one up your mm-hmm. idea. Okay. Yeah. Maybe the shoe in reality wasn't standing up, but, and then that's how he sees it. That's how he remembers it. That's why it's in the museum that way. And he is a victim of trauma. Right. So he chose that shoe when that all that was going on is I'm going to stare at that yeah. shoe mm-hmm. and I'm not going to look at anything yes. else and I'm not going to listen to anything else and I'm going to get through this. Yep. And so maybe that's why that's like a, it's like a, something he used as like a, fo- yeah. yeah. See there it's, and I appreciate, I could see how some people would be like, that's garbage. Jordan Peele shouldn't have written a better script. It should make more sense. There shouldn't be all these threads and I can I can understand that criticism but I guess it's just ultimately obviously it comes down to whether it worked or not for you well and this worked for me I think on a first viewing sure all the disparate themes can I be, didn't see the through line got you on a second viewing I think it's probably a lot easier to say okay now I know where everything is going to go I can start to look for the connective tissue and it's going to make more sense because so, that's the yeah. thing about this film it's two hours and ten minutes so it's not like things are happening fast but there is so much going on at a first viewing. It just doesn't, it doesn't seem to fit together. And I think mm. if you kind of can form something, then go back and you're willing to give it a second chance. It does seem to gel a lot better. Okay. So I still like this film quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, sure. I like it a lot. Sure. I, I, I do. I do get concerned by films that kind of, Require second viewing I know. to fully appreciate. You, you, you would so think that's a little bit of a stand you know. Yeah. I and again, that. not saying that I need everything spelled out at all. I love ambiguous movies and I love ones where you have to think it through. But when you've got five or six themes that yes, there is a connective tissue. You're right. Now that you've described it, I kind of am starting to see it, but it takes that kind of discussion or reviewing to get that. And that's, uh, I just wonder if that's, that's my question. It's asking a lot. Is it asking too, too much, much? Got you on a first viewing. That's, I guess that's where I'm coming from. I still would rather do this than um, the movie we're going to talk about next. <laughs> so, <laughs> absolutely. Right. Okay. I think we're going to end spoiler sure. section here now. So, all right, guys, if you are uh, just listening ahead, skipping ahead, we're going to go right into our second review. Thanks for indulging us as we kind of geek out on the, the spoiler details of that film a little bit. All right, Chris, here we are for the next review. Let's roll right into this. Okay. We are reviewing the film exclusively on Netflix. Chris Evans, Ryan Gosling, uh, super cool spy assassin guys. It is the gray man. What do you know about the Sierra program? Reckless mystery man you guys send in when you can officially send anyone else. The gray man. In the Gray Man, Chris, uh, directed by the Russo brothers, who we all know from the Avengers movies, or at least the uh, Infinity War and Endgame. They directed the two of those. I think they did also the a couple of the Captain America movies. So they right. kind of got their big name in the movie business through a lot of the Marvel movies. Well, they brought in at least one of their Marvel co-stars, um, Chris Evans, for this one. 
Uh, let me just sum up what the film is briefly. When the CIA's most skilled operative, whose true identity is none, known to no one, accidentally uncovers dark agency secrets, a psychopathic former colleague puts a bounty on his head, setting off a uh, global manhunt by international assassins. Um, Ryan Gosling stars as Six. Mm-hmm. That is the name that he has given, the code name he's given. He goes by in the film. Chris Evans is Lloyd Hansen. Uh, the, that would be the psychopathic assassin guy <laughs> that we just alluded to. Sure. We have Anna Armas in here, Billy Bob Thornton, Jessica Henwick, Alfred Woodard. A lot of great characters. So let me let me sum this up for you, Chris, and then I'm, I'm going to kick it over to you. Sure. My setup is going to spoil how I feel about this film. I'm going to go ahead <laughs> and tell you that. Okay, so it's, it, I'm just going to roll it out there. Gotcha. So... We have Ryan Gosling as a cool spy assassin guy that knows just when to say the right things and has a very cool demeanor all the time. Check. Got Chris Evans as an unhinged, snarky counter assassin. Check. Got Billy Bob Thornton as a handler. Yeah, works. Check. Love it. Alfre Woodard, like her in pretty much anything she's in, and she plays an interesting role here. Check. Good. A raised Jean Page. I don't know if you were familiar with him. I think he was a big star in the film, uh, the series Bridgerton that's been Not on. Not familiar with him. He's kind of our, quote, evil guy in Which the film. It's also a Netflix thing. Yeah. Just, okay. So he kind of plays the bad guy in this film, kind of the head of this agency that's doing some uh, bad things. Check. I liked it. He's good. Julia Butters, the young girl from uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is playing the daughter in this film. And I think she's really good. Check. Yes. Lots of good stuff. There's slickly shot action sequences, a lot of great vistas. Um, I think there's some interesting, fun banter between the two leads that kind of keep things uh, entertaining a little bit. All these things, Chris, I just gave you as a big checklist of things that work in this film. Why did this film not work as a whole? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And it didn't work as a whole for me either. But I will say it suffers from the Netflix original film curse that it needed to be a half hour shorter and is fine as a film to fold laundry to, which I stole that from some comment. I, I, I saw, saw, I saw that online as well. Adam Kempinar, who does yeah. a film spotting podcast. But yeah, the thing is, it's it, to, and another way of saying it is just, just disposable. It's not harmless. It's not terrible. But no, the, story, not. the story is really nothing unique. But the acting, the care, you know, Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans, their banter alone, when they like that, mm-hmm. that kind of sells it. Yeah, it's fun. And so it, it's, it's, it's just, it's okay. It's just fun. Yeah. Um, I feel like to earlier in the year, Michael Bay had his celebration of the drone with ambulance. <laughs> okay. This film wasn't as bad with the mm-hmm. celebration of the drone, but there were these crazy, like, whipping around panoramas of Mm -hmm. where the people were. And you're like, okay, yeah, I get it. They're in Prague. Whoopie-doo. Why did I need that whip around pan? You know, like that was just kind of insane. Well, the ambulance comparison is interesting because I thought the same thing about halfway through this movie. I'm like, all right, this is kind of like ambulance. And that (laughs) is just two main characters were following Mm -hmm. just constant action. And I mean, don't get me wrong. The gray man is constant action. To the point where, Sometimes you're like, wait, how did they get here? Yeah, well, I, it didn't really well you just, just kind of turn off the brain and don't even think about it. Right. Um, and the use of the drone camera at times. Again, I was thinking Ambulance. This is a lot better than Ambulance. Oh, yes. I hated yes. Ambulance. I did this, too. <laughs> this was passable. It just, at the end of the day, I can't really tell you any one action sequence or scene from the film. 
I can tell you who was in it and I can tell you <laughs> some, maybe some like visual, like you know, cues of like where things happened, but I can't really tell you a lot more beyond that. The one that sticks in my head. And I think the only reason it does other than the end one is because it's the last one I saw. So that sticks in my head. But, um, the very first one, I think it was cause the first one we saw where, uh, Ryan Gosling and a guy are like battling in and amongst a fireworks display that's going off all around. Them. Right. Yeah. Sure. And I so remember that, that. That was never, I was like, Oh, well that's kind of, cause you know, you have the threat that maybe they're going to get shot in the face with a firecracker. Mm-hmm. Of course that never happens. But you know, I was like, Oh, well, that's, that's kind of interesting. But yeah, yeah, you're right. It's, it's just very generic. It's very generic, very disposable. Uh, you know, again, this, this, I don't need it to be an intricate plot if you've got sure. an interesting way of telling the story. Or to a me, unique way that you haven't or seen. Or showing it, right. But there's nothing films. unique here. No. I mean, all the action is very routine. Um, and I will say, I mean, for the most part, the action's fairly coherent, except there's one scene up in an airplane. Yeah. When, and like parachuting out where I just thought, oh my gosh, <laughs> this, I have no idea what's going on right now. And, yeah. uh, it got a little overblown a few times for sure. Yeah, um, like so much swish panning and cutting. Yes. You're just like, what? What's yeah. going? On? It just leaves you kind of tired. No, I, yeah. I think the biggest problem with this film, Chris, that, that makes it not be as entertaining as it could be, or as interesting as it could be, is these characters. We know nothing about them. Which Chris Evans, or not Chris Evans, but Ryan Gosling, you understand because he's a supposed to bit, be this like, but he is supposed to be a gray man. You're yeah, but even so, I mean, you can still have a mysterious character where you don't know all their backstory, but you still need to know something about them or you guys see some level of development with characters. Instead, we're given like really cardboard cutouts. Now, these actors do their best with it. I sure. think Ryan Gosling is very good as a gray man as the kind of faceless, you know, assassin guy. I think Chris Evans plays really good as a psychotic unhinged guy. I, I, I liked him. I enjoyed him. And I was thinking I was enjoying him and my wife who was watching it with me. She's actually like, Chris Evans is so like, if I didn't know he was the guy who played Captain America, like I wouldn't really know it's him because he's playing so far against yeah. clean cut type. He's got this stupid little mustache and they even acknowledge it. And he's, He's clearly having a lot of fun yeah. and I was having fun watching. But again, I don't really know much about him oh, no, other no. than that. He, okay. So he's also an assassin and he's <laughs> kind of crazy. That, yeah. And that's he basically follows no rules. They follow, made that very follows clear. no rules. Yeah. <laughs> right. So again, these like these cardboard characters that are written out for these characters. Luckily they've got good actors to at least make it entertaining. Yeah. But I'll tell you what though, Anna de Armas, what a I feel sorry for waste her. of a character. Yes. I think A, she was miscast. I don't think she really needed to be in that role. Right. And B, her character, you want to talk about no character development. There's nothing for her. Yeah. She just kind of pops in and out whenever they need her to. Yeah. And it was really it was really a disservice to Which her. Which I was expecting um, more. I mean, not knowing I saw that both Chris Evans and Anna Armas were in this, and I was thinking, oh, that's cool. They work together in knives out. Here yeah. they're gonna work together and then no. And it was just like yeah, it, it, I felt bad for her because she's yeah. a really good actress. So, yeah. I mean, we saw her play an interesting action character in the last James Bond movie. Yes, she was good. She had a small role, but she was really good in that mm-hmm. role while doing action. Here, she is just a faceless, nameless character that just happens to kind of come in and out whenever they need a <laughs> dosix machina to kind of get them out of a situation, and it was a shame. Yeah. Um, here's my question, Chris. So this yes. is based off of a book. Right. What is this book? Because all I'm imagining of <laughs> this book as being is a description of fist fights and, and chases. <laughs> I guess it relies, which they do end up giving some explanation of Ryan Gosling and why 
they start the film with him in jail and you don't really know why he's in jail and then he becomes this operative and it basically gets him out of jail because he'll be this operative. Yeah. And slowly they reveal throughout the film, oh, it's because he killed he killed somebody. Oh, who'd he kill? And then you find these things out and they reveal things. I guess the book gives you a lot more backstory on him. And maybe they give you, like you're saying, maybe what made the book successful so that they made a film out of it is maybe they give you some backstory on the craziness of Chris Evans's character. Lloyd Hanson. I guess the movie was, if that's the case, the movie was not interested in any of that. No, very little. Right. It's like, no, let's just, let's just go and go from action set piece to action set piece as quickly as possible. Um, I will say, kind of going back through some other characters, I thought Billy Bob Thornton, I like him in the role as the handler character. I thought yeah. he's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fitzroy. Uh, yeah. I like Jessica Henwick. She plays Suzanne Brewer, who's kind of part of this agency and has to kind of push back against the Chris Evans character quite a bit. So, um, yeah, okay. she And there again, no fault of the actors. Yeah. Script-wise, I kind of didn't understand yeah. what she was doing. And then her kind of arc in the movie at the end, I was like, Oh, that's why she's there because she has to do X. You know? <laughs> so she is Carmichael who's played by that Rajay John page character. She was assigned by Carmichael to basically be the handler for Chris Evans's character right. just to kind of make sure he's doing his job. And then she gets kind of caught in the middle with it. And uh, anyway, I, again, I like all the actors. And again, I'm going to call out Julia Butters who played the young girl, Claire. Um, she was good in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with her small role there. She's very good here as well. She's a good young young actress. And uh, so I was happy to see her in there. So, I mean, all the elements are there. It's just the movie just, just kind of limped through and just was passable entertainment, which is a shame when you got a $200 million movie that Netflix has financed by two big action directors that have made some of the biggest movies in the last several years. You got two really, really big bankable stars and it's just kind of a, a forgettable film by the end of the day, you know? So right. it's a I shame. Mean, it, it is a shame. And I, I think the only films I'd really seen of the Russo brothers, I think are all the Marvel things. And they tended some of the Captain America films were some of my favorite films. Oh, yeah. of theirs, and they I liked, good. I thought the end game stuff was pretty good. So I think even, you know, we mentioned, I think I went in thinking this was going to be something and instead it was like, eh, it was more disposable than I would have thought. So yeah. It's a shame. It is a shame. And I know they were hoping for this and they may still be turning this into a franchise. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now look, I'm, I'm not opposed to that because I do think that, you know, just because this movie did not work as great entertainment and, and, and didn't really stand out. I mean, if you want to cast Ryan Gosling as six in another movie and actually put him on another kind of path. I mean, look at the mission impossible movies. I think a lot of people would uh, assume that, or say that with different directors and different people helming it, they got better over time to where now they're kind of a, a certain premier level of entertainment for a lot of people. So who knows? I'm all for Ryan Gosling continuing this character. I just, I don't think this match of directors and, uh, you know, uh, style of film was the best way to get us introduced to this character or this potential franchise. So, Got you. Yeah. But if they want to keep going with, with six by Ron Gosling, go for it. I, I mean, think if it, it shows up for free in Netflix, you might be like, Oh, okay. Sure. <laughs> I mean, why not? If Netflix needs a franchise to go after him, you could do worse. Right. I just, I think the, the matching of everybody involved. And, and I think overall the, the style and tone that they wanted to carry on with this, this film just didn't, work. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's one thing if, well, another thing that I, I was trying to look at this and think, how would I compare this to like really great action movies? What makes a really great action movie? And I mentioned how it's, you do have to have characters you kind of care about mm-hmm. to some degree, or you're fearful of for some reason. Chris Evans's Lloyd Hansen, we're told all along, is like this unhinged, psychotic guy who's also like a big nemesis. It he can likes be a, to torture people. But he screws up a lot. He's not very good. <laughs> so then why are we fearful of him? Like He even gets yeah. reprimanded by that Suzanne Brewer character being like, uh, that was like the worst, you know, uh, trying to get somebody I've ever seen. It's like, mm-hmm. they're going to teach this in schools of what not to do. And I'm like, yeah. So why are we supposed to look at him as like this big threat threat when he's being like dressed down by his people around him all, every time. So there's that. And then looking at it from an action sequence standpoint, nowhere in this film did I feel any tension. Did mm-hmm. I feel any buildup? Did I feel anything was building to something? So it's like, it was just big explosion go to next big explosion, go to another big explosion. And that's not fun as much as it could be. I mean, maybe it's fun passable while you're, like you said, folding laundry, laundry, (laughs) but it's not a sit down. I want to be engrossed in a story and and thrilled and excited. And, uh, and I'll say what makes you see, and the, you know, if you were seeing this movie in the theater, you could easily, go to the bathroom and come back and not have really missed anything no. because it's like, Oh, I maybe missed an action sequence. Then somebody can say, yeah, it was something cool in the subway. Oh, oh, okay. what, what's happening? Oh, uh, well, Lloyd Hansen is chasing six. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Got it. <laughs> like so, that's the same thing that's right. been happening so I think for the last that's hour. It's like that shows how little investment is necessary. Yeah. So, so it's, I, I look, it wasn't a bad time watching this. I mean, yeah. I, it's passable. Sure. It was at least had some entertainment value to it. But man, it just, I felt like it was a waste. I felt like it was a real waste. And just, uh, there was a lot of potential here. Sure. And I think a lot of it was just exploited or overlooked along the way. And uh, it's a shame. They were playing to a lowest common denominator of let's just give people thrill ride after thrill ride, action after, after action, without thinking about what makes it a good movie. And this <sighs> didn't quite hit that good movie level at, at all. So. Right. All right. You got anything else to say on this? No, sadly, but I think it's a good balance because we kind of talked about all the intricacies of Nope. And then here we're like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, and really, I feel bad. We're giving this like shorter, obviously a lot shorter time than we gave Nope, but there's, that's, that's part of the way this film is set up is it's not really meant to be one that no. you can talk dissect about or dissect. And, yeah. It is just, yeah. Did they, did they shoot this fight sequence? Good. Yeah, sure. I mean, it, stuff looked fine. Um, I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, it's they, disappointing. I can see how I love my spy movies. I love my kind of, I, I love the James Bond series. I like the mission impossible series. i have no problems with the trying to start another assassin slash spy franchise with a guy with a backstory, kind of this unknown character. I just, uh, I thought this was a very in audacious way to start it off. And, they're going to have to really step it up with future ones if they want to turn this into something memorable and meaningful. Yeah. I think we're on the same page. Okay. All right. That is the gray man. As Chris said, it is quote free on Netflix. If you have (laughs) Netflix and you know, yes, I, I think I was doing something else. I was building a bookcase. I think while this movie was on, (laughs) not that I really like to do anything else while I'm watching a movie, but after about half an hour, I'm like, yeah, I think I can probably do something else and still follow this movie just fine. And 
that's what happened. So, okay, that is the gray man. And that was our second review. So Chris, we are going to take a very short break. We come back. We've got some movie news to discuss. Uh, Noah Baumbach's new film. I'm going to talk about that. We've got uh, Marvel news uh, since we kind of hinted the Marvel stuff with the, the gray man review, but we're going to get into the Marvel announcements of new films and then our recommendations for the episode. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on the TV. We will be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. You heard our reviews of the film Nope and The Gray Man. Nope, we were both positive on. It led into a much longer discussion than probably <laughs> we've ever given other films, but uh, I think warranted. We both liked it. Couple questions, couple theories, couple thoughts, but overall, still a very enjoyable experience watching the film. Then followed by The Gray Man. Uh, passable entertainment that's maybe okay to have in the background on for a couple hours, but doesn't require a lot of thought. And ultimately I felt like was a disappointment given all the talent and resources and the premise that was there to work with. But um, anyway, all right, well let's move on to some movie news there, Chris. Okay. Talk about some things that have not come out yet. So we can't review them. We can't critique them, but we can at least uh, theorize a little bit on how we feel like these films may be at the end of the day. Let's start on one end of the spectrum. Okay. Uh, you and I are, are fans of Noah Baumbach's films in general. Yeah. I mean, I think Marriage Story was his last film. Uh, it was one of my favorite films that year. I thought it was wonderful. Most good. Um, Squid and the Whale, I know, is one that I think we did in an early review for when, like, when this podcast started. I remember talking about that pretty early on, uh, which I think was a kind of a standout for us, which we both really liked. There's been plenty of other movies sure. uh, since then. Speaking of Netflix, he did the film, the, the Meyerowitz stories uh, mm -hmm. on Netflix as well, that we both uh, found some things to enjoy from that. Well, he has a new film coming out. It's called White Noise, and it's going to be opening the Venice Film Festival this year. Okay, uh, White Noise. Uh, it's a black comedy, which sounds a lot like Bombax. Sounds like films. he'll be on board with that. Um, has an ensemble cast. Greta Gerwig, who is in many of his films and is in this one as well. Adam, she a uh, hmm? partner of Noah Baumbach? Yes, I yeah, believe yeah, she is. Okay. Yeah. Adam Driver, who we saw in Marriage Story, obviously. And then Jodie Turner-Smith, uh, starring in the film. And it's an adaptation of a Don DeLillo book, which I'm not familiar with. But it follows Jack, who's played by Adam Driver a professor who made a name for himself by teaching Hitler studies at a liberal arts college in middle America. Oh, wow. And then with his fourth wife, Babette, who's played by Greta Gerwig and their kids, they attempt to navigate the unusual Rocky passages of family life, but their existence is put to the test and disrupted when an airborne toxic event forces them to face the threat of death together. So black comedy. Whoa. Absolutely. It started to sound like squid in the whale for a little bit there. Yeah, it's like professor this whole that's teaching something like okay, yes. Hitler. Stuff but then okay. you mix in this uh, airborne toxic event into the mix and it does a, it does make a little bit more of a Whoa. interesting story there. So yeah. Interesting. Um, so that will be coming out. Um, 
Now, hold on. There was something. Do, I was gonna are say. we going to get to see? I mean, it's going to premiere at Venice. Are we going to get to see it in the states before the end of oh, the year? Oh, you know, what? I dropped the lead on this thing. This is a Netflix original film. Oh, interesting. And it is the first time that a world premiere in competition at Venice uh, is a Netflix original film. Got you. So Bombback is all in on the Netflix right now. There was all that stink about like con and Netflix movies and you couldn't premiere. There was a, so Venice is saying, cool. Not only that, we're going to open the festival with a Netflix original film. So it will open in the U S but it'll open on Netflix. Okay. So actually Netflix has got a a couple of movies uh, happening at the festival there. So Andrew, Andrew Dominic's Marilyn Monroe drama blonde. Oh yeah. Starring Anna de Armas is going to be there as well. The rating on that is NC 17. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then another Netflix movie, uh, Alexandra Inarutu's Bardo False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths is wow, going to be a Netflix film. <laughs> yep. Wow. It's the story of a Mexican journalist and documentary filmmaker going through an existential crisis. So they, like, I think <laughs> it seems like Netflix is like, okay, we lost last year. You know, we didn't win with um, Power of the Dog. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna just. We're, it's, it we're seems like they're, they're going for broke now. They're going, if they they're don't, if they don't win this year, they're gonna be like, okay, forget it. We're just gonna. Scrap we're just gonna it. make Gray Man two, three, four, and five. <laughs> right. for the we're next just gonna get. Year. We're just gonna give up. <laughs> wow, because that's three. I mean, you got Nr two, who he was the one who did Babel and all. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then you have Noah Baumbach, who did. You know, so you. Yeah, I mean they're they're really just who was the third one? Bomba? Well, it was, uh, it was Andrew Dominic, oh, but Dominic. it's the the okay. Marilyn Monroe film, yeah. right? Which I think you know Andrew Dominic has made some films, oh, yeah. so he's not quite the name recognition of the others, but still, wow, I think they're but Marilyn Monroe that's a pretty big like, sure, yeah. I yeah, I think it's interesting as much. I know I know Netflix gets a lot of junk right now. People kind of talk about how they're just pumping out their original films. They've lost a lot of subscribers. They've so. lost a lot of subscribers. Right. Stranger Things appears to be the only show that's really kind of still in the zeitgeist with people, pop culture wise. Right. Their original films have been derided a lot because it's Red Notice, the whole rock and which we did Ryan not Reynolds, review. we did not review. Then we had The Gray Man, which you know, we already <laughs> talked about a few minutes ago. Right. But I think people are forgetting that Netflix is also backing a lot of really great independent directors and right. really great artists. And uh, they just haven't really struck gold with any of those in terms right. of Oscars or acclaim. I, mean, I think for. the same year of Marriage Story was that also the year of Irishman? I think it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they did Martin Scorsese, they did Noah Bonebach last year. They did Jane Campion trying to do Power of the yeah. Dog. So it's like, look, there's yeah. enough reasons for me not to drop my Netflix subscription. <laughs> sure. Okay, so I, I know that's always people question, well, when do I drop Netflix? Because I'm just not watching a lot on it. I'm like, well, if they release a movie every month or two of this caliber, it's worth my, whatever it is, 12 bucks or something a month for Netflix. I'm, I'm okay with that. So, um, anyway, interesting stuff there. I am curious about the bomb, the bomb back film. Uh, I am curious about the, the, uh, Marilyn Monroe film for sure. Sure. No, very little. They actually, me having read this article just the other day is the first I've heard about Inarutu's film that's going to come out on Netflix. So that's uh, going to be interesting. So yeah, some interesting things happening at Venice and more specifically at home on Netflix for us to see in the, uh, hopefully in the coming months. Yeah, sure. All right. Um, Okay. Now let's flip over to the other side of the Hollywood spectrum. Uh, San Diego Comic-Con did happen this past week, Chris. 
I know you tried to get tickets and uh, <laughs> could not quite get them in time. So I know you were right. disappointed by that. Right. Um, well, the Comic Con, it, it has become a little bit of a overblown tripe of we just come and announce all these big projects sure. at one big time. We have a big stage presence. Um, Marvel was there. DC was there. And of course, these are guys that are pumping out a lot of the big blockbuster movies we see nowadays. DC, I, honestly, they didn't really have a lot to announce and talk about. And really, Marvel kind of took over everything. They didn't even say anything about the the Joker sequel. Nope. Didn't say anything about the Joker oh. sequel. Didn't mention anything about it. I think the only, and didn't do anything about a Batman sequel. Uh, yeah, nothing at uh, all. It was, I think they only talked about. Aquaman. Uh, or did they not even talk no, about that? No. Oh. I think the only thing they talked about was Black Adam. The, oh, uh, sure. The one with uh, Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson. And then the new uh, uh, Shazam movie coming out. This is a sequel to the original. Got you. But Marvel had a lot to cover. And I, I don't <laughs> want to go into all the details, sure. but I'll just kind of give you the, the heads up overview. Um, Marvel's films have been rolled out in phases that gotcha. they consider. So we are currently in phase four in case anybody's keeping a score at home. We're in the middle of phase four. Actually, we're getting ready to end phase four. Phase four of the films are going to end with Wakanda forever, which comes out this winter. And they also in the fall here, we've got she Hulk as a TV show on Disney plus that's the end of phase four with those. So then phase five starts up and that's going to be starting up in February. Okay. And they kind of rolled out all the films and shows that are going to be this phase five. And again, we're going to focus mainly on the movies because I know we're a movie discussion show. You do have the new Ant-Man and the Wasp movie. You've got a new Guardians of the Galaxy movie. You've got the Marvels, which is uh, Ms. Marvel, Captain Marvel, uh, all rolled into a movie. You've got the Blade movie, which um, we haven't really seen much about. Is but it's been, Wesley Snipes coming back for that? He will not be playing Blade. Okay. It's going to be uh, Moonlight. Uh, oh. What's the guy's name? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, but I know you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. Uh, oh, my gosh. What was his name? But he's playing the character of He Blade. is playing Blade. Yes. Interesting. Um, no, they did not bring back Wesley Snipes for this. Hold on. I mean, on. he's older now, so it'd be kind of hard to have him be this. Uh, Mahasha Ali. Okay. He is going to be Blade. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got, um, hmm. Ironheart, which is kind of the next iteration of Iron Man, but it's a young girl who kind of becomes an Iron Man. Oh, okay. Yep. Was not aware that was. Yep. Huh. A new Captain America movie, which will be, um, Starring uh, Andrew Anthony Mackie right. as Captain America. Former uh, Falcon, and mm-hmm. now he's, yeah. And then it's going to end that whole phase with a movie called The Thunderbolts, which if anybody is a Marvel Comics person like I am, we know what The Thunderbolts are, and well, that will make it interesting. absolutely no idea what they are. Okay. Um, I'll tell you in a nutshell. Are they because, Transformers? <laughs> no, no, not, okay. uh, basically, and they've been setting this up in some of their other shows and movies. It is uh, villainous, more more villainous people posing as heroes, kind of so like, like the Suicide Squad. A little bit of that, uh, yeah. It's it's Marvel's version of that in a way. Got you. So that's going to be ending that up. Are they are they well known villains posing as heroes? Like you know, Suicide Squad's well, people like you've heard in of. the comics. The whole conceit was, and it was a big kind of twist when they when they did it. You think you're following a brand new team of superheroes, but then you come to find out after a while. It's actually older villains, villains you've known for a while, all now like 
playing superheroes. Hmm. Yeah. So okay. it's okay, a little. All the, okay. So, <laughs> you know, I've, we've talked, I've kind of given up because I was disappointed in both the most recent Dr. Strange and Thor. I mean, mm. they were okay, but I was just like, yeah, I'm just, I guess I'm just kind of tired. But of all the things that you announced for phase five, <laughs> I think the that one, one you're kind of interested in. I think the one because it, and I I guess I kind of wish, but the trailer probably would have hinted at some of what you just said in the description because otherwise people wouldn't go see it because they have no idea what it is. Um, that to me sounds the most interesting. Okay. So well, you've got until uh, July 2024 to oh, wait for that. So I've got a while. <laughs> you got a, <laughs> got a, like uh, almost two years to Great. wait. But they also went ahead and announced Phase Six. Okay. And the reason they did, they only announced three films in Phase 6, but because they're big ones. Okay. So Phase 6 is going to kick off with the Fantastic Four. Uh, That's going to be November 2024. Did they say any cast or no? No. No. Nope. No cast or anything. Just saying this is the date. It will be happening here. And then later uh, the following year, two Avengers movies. Two. Within six months of each other. Wow. The first one's going to be called The King Dynasty. King is the character from Loki. Uh, played by uh, Jonathan Majors. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the King Dynasty will be in May 2025. And then in November 2025 is Avengers Secret Wars. So do we know, I mean, I'm sure you do, but me being somewhat, I mean, you know, I guess more of an average MCU person, when they say Avengers, that means... I'm assuming maybe Thor, but a bunch of the other people are going to, we don't know who it's going to be. A bunch of other people are going to have shifted because even if Captain America's in it, it's going to be the new Captain America that's being played. So interesting. We don't know who makes up the Avengers. We have no idea. In two years time. Got you. But yes, it'll be a collection of of heroes. We just don't know who. Will it be the new Black Widow, her sister? We don't know. Will it be the new Captain America? Will Thor be in it? Well, Hulk, well, She-Hulk, well, whoever. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. And Iron Fist is the new Iron Man? Uh, Iron Heart. Iron Heart. Yes. Iron Fist is like another superhero. Yes. Okay. That's correct. Got you. You're just throwing out a lot of terms. So and they names. were all superhero names. <laughs> so you were right. So anyway, it's a lot. I mean, there's a lot. They are okay. pushing out a lot of stuff. But So as you being more familiar with the comic books and more of a, yeah. you know, do you feel, because I think you and I were both and I think a lot of sentiment has been phase four has kind of been, you know, well, floundering and kind of like a filler, yes. kind of, even though it's like a lot of movies, just filler because TV shows on yeah. Disney plus that are Marvel things, which some of them, you know, Falcon and the winter soldier, um, Loki, mm-hmm. some of those, you know, if they don't quite have the payoff of a movie, you're like, well, it's a TV series. You yeah. kind of give it a pass. But I think the movies overall have been kind of a little disappointing. I think in general, everybody feels like phase four, this current phase we're in has been lackluster. It's not really moved anywhere where at least the first three phases of their films were leading to something. So do you, do you feel like that's going to start? I think so. And I think, I think in general, everybody's happy that there's at least now a, a a forward movement. Like stories are going to be building towards something. As a uh, episodic uh, serial, you know, reader viewer who likes this things of building kind of storylines over time mm-hmm. and seeing different characters involved with them, it's nice to say, "Oh, okay, cool. I know where we're going now." And the whole thing is this whole freaking multiverse. I mean, that's going to be the whole deal. And I remember back before the Doctor Strange movie title had been announced, and I remember 
discussing something about the multiverse on this show and you're like, yeah, I just remember when that was in the comics, I wasn't the biggest fan yeah, of that. And I was like, oh, not. I think it sounds interesting. And I, and I was kind of excited. And now I'm like, dude, yeah. now I see exactly what you're saying because I'm, I am it's ready just for the lot. multiverse to not be done. Anymore. I am kind of, I, I, and more than anything, I'm just happy to see that there, there is an end point where they're going to say, this is the <laughs> end of this. They're actually calling this whole phase, the next couple phases, the multiverse saga. Oh boy. <laughs> where before it was the infinity gauntlet saga. Now right. it's the multiverse saga. And, but there is at least an end to it. It okay. will end. And then maybe they'll go on to something else. So. Got you. All right. Okay. So it was, I mean, I think it was interesting news if you're into all that world and, and like those movies. I think there's some, and I still think some interesting titles coming out. There's some interesting directors attached to a lot of them. So could be some good projects, but we'll definitely have to wait and see. Last thing I was going to do in the news section here, Chris, before we went on to our, our recommendations. Um, speaking of all the movies that were just announced, the one like new trailer for a movie uh, that, that Marvel put out was the one Wakanda Forever, which is technically the Black Panther sequel. But of course, it's got a little bit of a unique situation in that Chadwick Boseman unfortunately passed away. Obviously, uh, he was Black Panther. Uh, I was curious to see what angle they were going to take with this film, knowing that their their lead character was no longer with us. Sure. And uh, they had said all along that we were not going to recast his character. Like we weren't going to have some other actor play him, T'Challa, the, the Black Panther. Gotcha. So what they were going to do, I wasn't sure. But they did release a trailer. Does it show what they are going to do? Not really. <laughs> okay. Um, but I think it's, I just want you to see the trailer and tell me your thoughts on that. So we're going to play okay. the trailer and then we'll get Chris's feedback on it right after we're done. So here we go. Good friends we have and good friends we've lost along the way. In this great future, you can't forget your past. So dry your teeth. So, Chris, that was the trailer for Wakanda Forever. For those listening on audio, sorry, I know it's just a lot, it seemed like a lot of music and explosions and sounds, but overall, I, I do encourage people to go check it out. Well, any initial quick thoughts on it, Chris? Just what you saw? It, it looks interesting. I, it doesn't, you know, it, it's built as a teaser trailer, so it definitely yeah. is that. It doesn't really give you, which is good, I guess, doesn't spoil a lot, gives you an idea of. Some action sequences. It obviously looks very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> um, pretty impressive. I don't know. I mean, but they obviously are acknowledging the fact because they mentioned like there has been death, like I've lost my whole family. Um, so, and we see a mural of Chadwick Boseman's yes. character up on a wall at one point. So you get the impression, and it almost looks like a funeral proceeding at yes. some point, too. Yeah. I think. I think we're under the impression that yes, they're acknowledging that he has passed away. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if that yeah. was like the opening scene. It was yeah. like a funeral for him. Um. I will say it will be interesting to see from what I can tell from the trailer. It doesn't look like it has a, a bad guy, like a tried and true Marvel bad guy. It looks like more, it's going to be struggles of Wakanda and them dealing with other tribes that like they kind of acknowledge in the original. Kind of. 
So I, I wonder, and then maybe like more interference from the outside world. So sometimes some of those, I know for me speaking, I usually like it because I guess it's kind of, I usually like it when it's like, okay, yes, they have a strong bad guy and it is the Joker or it is yeah. the Penguin. Like, so, but maybe that'll be kind of like the original Black Panther was very unique and how it kind of handled stuff. Um, well, it'll be so the quote villain in this film, you see him in the trailer. Oh, okay. Namor. Okay. Namor the Submariner. Underwater guy. Ah. Yeah. Okay. And then he started out in comics as kind of an anti-hero or a quote villain for some time. He eventually became more of a hero type character, but he's like, is he like the Marvel version of Aquaman? Aquaman. Well, Aquaman is the DC version of Namor and Namor technically came first. Oh, so I okay. see. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I didn't okay. mean to school you on that. Okay. But no, that's fine. Out there. That's um, fine. So yeah, so that was the character in there uh, played by, oh gosh, I had his name just a, a little bit ago and I've already lost it. Uh, played by a new character or new actor for the, for, oh, Tanosh Hurta. Um, apologize if I'm, I'm messing his name up, but uh, hmm. uh, he's been in, he, he has been in a lot of international films. Okay. Uh, he's a Mexican actor. Okay. Uh, filling in a lot of movies in Latin America and Spain. Okay. So, um, huh. Interesting. Uh, Sin Nombre. Do you remember that film? That yeah. was, uh, he was in that. Okay. But he will be playing Namor, uh, who is the leader of this underwater tribe that you see in the trailer. So okay. he is, my understanding is the villain, although knowing Marvel movies like I do, he will probably be quote the villain until they realize that there's actually a real villain that they have to team <laughs> together and go thing. after. Anyway, gotcha. that's my guess on it. But, um, Interesting. I, I do think the film looks interesting. I was impressed with the look of the trailer. I mean, it definitely looks like you said expensive. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Coogler still the director, uh, like Which he was I think with is the first one. Good. It's good. Um, I'm just very curious how you do without a. Yeah, I, it seems like from the trailer they're going to be teasing or at least kind of leading up to who will be taking on the Black Panther role, and that'll be interesting to see. So I don't know. So I, I'm I'm looking forward to it now. I was not excited about the film initially. I think the trailer has done a lot to kind of build up some enthusiasm. So it's coming out this November, I believe. Okay. So um, we'll see for sure then. Okay, Chris. Well, I think we are done with news. Okay. Are we ready to go to the last part of our show where sure. we do our recommendations? Sure. Okay. It's recommendation time, everybody. Chris and I scour our letterboxed list of films we've seen or we're making notes on films that we're watching new ones. And we want to come to you with a recommendation of something we think you might enjoy or should check out if you have a chance. And it just needs to be something you can find now currently online or available to rent or stream or whatever it may be. So Chris, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us what is your recommendation? Because you normally have a good film recommendation for us. I unfortunately do not, but uh, go right ahead. So I'm going to recommend the Bob's Burgers movie. Mm. Um, My only experience with Bob's Burgers prior to watching this movie was being inundated with the trailer before every film I'd seen in the theater (laughs) prior to its release. I was almost as weary of the trailer as I was of Nicole Kidman telling me how magic it was to be in the majestic trappings of AMC theaters. Because here um, it is, it or is. we, we, it is, yeah, or just, we are or something like that. Yeah. I, yeah. I just, I, I would, I'd like to start like a crowdfunding campaign, a Kickstarter to make AMC replace that commercial. I don't care what with, but just with something, it, it's time. I'm, I'm over it. Is it is pretty painful. I agree. <laughs> but anyways, okay. So back to Bob's burgers. Um, 
that's what was so amazing to me is I saw this pop up. It's available streaming on Hulu or on HBO Max. Um, I didn't see it in the theaters. I actually wanted to, I was curious because I was like, can this movie be good if I know nothing about the animated series, if I've never seen it? And can it still be good even though I've seen the trailer a hundred million times? So I'm sure I've seen a couple of jokes that are supposed to be funny and they won't be the least bit funny to me because I've already seen them a hundred million times. And the answer is yes. Um, hmm. I thought the, and it's not a complicated story. It's Bob's Burgers, his little restaurant that he runs with his family is in danger because they have a sinkhole open up and they have to redirect traffic and nobody is, there's no foot traffic. So like, how are they going to make their bills? You know, mm -hmm. it's, and it still manages to be funny. Hmm. Um, and maybe it's because I, I don't know if I had the experience of knowing a lot of the characters, whether I'd still find them as refreshing as they were, but they were all like interesting that, you know, the kids each have their own little personality. I don't, just within the short time I watched the movie, I was like, wow. And it makes me curious to go back and actually check out the show because I'm like, you know what? I've heard people say they like this show. I think I might like it. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of, to me, it reminds me of, you know, the Simpsons, honestly. Um, but with the exception of, I remember the Simpsons movie came out and I was really disappointed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Whereas I think this one actually could, they stretched like a half hour, what would be a half hour show on Fox and they stretched it to be a 102 minute movie. And I thought it was a uh, pretty, pretty good. So okay. Bob's burgers movie. Um, it's fun and it's available on both Hulu and HBO max. So, uh, well, check good. it out. That's uh, that's good to hear. So yeah, I, I've never seen an episode of Bob's burgers you, and you don't need to, you don't need to. That's yeah. interesting. That's good to know. Cause that was always my thing. You know, I saw this was on Hulu and I thought, well, I've heard people talk about it and say they like it, but I've never seen an episode of the show. And you're saying not, not required viewing. Not so. required. Good. Awesome. Okay. That's good to know. All right. Like I said, Chris, my, my review, my recommendation, unfortunately is, well, I'll say unfortunately, I don't want to demean TV and try to make it sound like it's so much lesser than film, but I know this is a film show, so I sure. feel bad not recommending something that's a film, but this is still a piece of visual content <laughs> that you sit and watch on a screen Got you. Uh, for a certain amount of time. So I'm going to kind of couch it under that. Um, there is a new show that just started up on HBO. Okay. It is called the rehearsal. It features, uh, I don't even say a comedian. He's just an artist. Name is Nathan F Fielder. Okay. Nathan Fielder had a show on comedy central for a while. that was called Nathan for you. And the whole premise of the show is, it was a reality based show and that is, you know, real people, real things, real situations. But Nathan was basically setting himself up as someone who would go in. And if there was a business that was having struggles, hmm. he was going to come in and help them solve their business issues. And normally it involves going down a very, very deep path of very absurdist situations to try to help somebody's business. Okay. And normally with, I think, pretty hilarious results that, and he is, his, his own personality is so straight and deadpan and, and uh, mean, he means well, but okay. the premise of the show is just, he's sometimes Did all the businesses end up failing. <laughs> well, they all have different outcomes. Okay. And, uh, so I always loved that show. I thought it was a really creative, innovative show. Okay. Um, but now he's got an HBO show, kind of stepped up to the HBO tier here. Got you. Called The Rehearsal. And the, the premise of the show, and they've only had only released one episode at the time of me recommending this. Okay. I think a second one maybe came out this weekend. I haven't seen it yet. But um, 
The premise is, is that Nathan is giving people a chance to rehearse for their own lives um, for something that they're anticipating needing to do. And he's going to help them rehearse it. Um, that may sound like a really boring sequence <laughs> to a film okay. or to a show. But let me just give you the premise for the first episode. There is a gentleman who <laughs> goes to trivia uh, night uh, every week with a bunch of his friends. Mm-hmm. And he, for whatever reason, lied about having a master's degree years ago. And he's been ridden with guilt about it. And he wants to rectify that. He wants to tell one of his best friends in this trivia group that he doesn't have a master's degree. But he's very nervous about doing it. Okay. So Nathan gets brought in to help him rehearse this encounter. Okay. And by rehearsing, I'm saying Nathan basically goes out and they build a exact replica of the bar, (laughs) staff it with actors, try to control the environment and control exactly how everything's going to happen on this night Hmm. to the point where when it actually does happen, it's pretty amazing how, how close but this is. is not a this is not a reality show. This is an actual. No, no, this is reality. Like it this is, was a real person with a real dilemma oh, okay, that so, reached out to Nathan. Okay, so, yes, because I know you said the thing on Comedy Central. No, no, this like is the same kind this of. This is also the. Oh wow. No, no, it's real. Okay. It, it's it's pretty amazing. Huh. Um, how long are the ep- the episode that's come out? How long is it? Um, gosh, first episode was only. Because it sounds they're like not, they're not long. Really, it sounds like too much to undergo in like a half hour. But no, man. basically, you get introduced to Nathan. Nathan meets this this person that he's going to help, and then they work through a whole uh, rehearsing this oh and gosh. building all the things <laughs> around them to make this this rehearsal work. They even bring in actors to play the other right, characters right, right. that this person's going to interact with and trying to explore every angle that, what if this person says this and what if this music is playing in the background instead of this, how does that affect everything? And then you actually get to see hidden camera footage of the real experience, that real thing that happens. Wow. Uh, after it's been rehearsed. Do you know the time span? Like, do they have a week? I don't remember. I don't yeah, I think they did explore that. I don't remember what it was, but I'm, I'm trying to remember the, the length of the episode. I mean, it's not more than probably 40, 45 minutes. Wow. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, it is <laughs> a pretty inventive show. Uh, I like it quite a bit. I'm, of course, I'm only recommending it off of one episode, but sure. uh, I do think it's interesting to check out. Um, watch the trailer for it. There's a trailer online. If the trailer gets your attention, then then do it. Then you're good. Then you're going to enjoy this. So okay. that is the rehearsal with Nathan Fielder on HBO Max, um, available right now. Hmm. I'll have to check it out. All right. So that is our recommendations. Chris with the Bob's Burger movie, me with uh, the rehearsal, both TV-based themed. Just, you know, Chris is an actual movie where I cheated and went the TV (laughs) route. All right. So I think we are wrapped up for today, Chris. We had our reviews of Nope, The Gray Man. We talked about Bombax's film, The White Noise. We talked about Marvel movies. We talked about other Venice Film Festival Netflix collaborations. And then our recommendations we just closed up with. So Chris, a lot of stuff we threw out. A lot of opinions we shared, a lot of spoilers we talked about with Nope. Anybody that has any questions or feedback or thoughts for us, what what should they do at this point? Send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Foot Candle Film. Al and I are on Letterboxd where we try to track what we're seeing, etc. 
Do us a favor. If you like our show, consider giving us a star rating or writing a review. Share with friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcasts. That'll help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it. Last but not least, the 2022 Foot Candle Film Festival will be held this year, September 25th, or sorry, 21st to the 25th. Uh, don't miss it. If you live in North Carolina, you can either see it online or you can travel to Hickory and uh, come see the festival in person. We'd love to have you. That's right. September 21st through the 25th. And you can go to footcandlefilmfestival.com to get information. And I think at the time of this uh the time that this episode's out, the film should all be available online and everybody can start buying tickets. So we hope to see you in late September for the festival. All right, Chris, we are going to go and wrap it up then. Thanks everybody for listening. And we will look forward to talking with everybody next time we get together here on foot candle films. Take care. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.